Hello, guys. Welcome to the Couple Nurses Podcast with your hosts, Matt Solarczyk and Peter Fendero. How are you doing today, Petey? I'm doing good, man. The weather's nice over here. You know, it's in the 30s. I woke up, and when I woke up, it was, it was pretty cold, but it warmed up here in Chicago. So hopefully you get a nice, nice march. Nice, beautiful review of the weather from Petey again. So this is the Couple Nurses Podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. Those that are returning. Thank you guys for chilling with us and hanging out with us. We're going to keep delivering this awesome content. We're going to keep being funnier because PD is just, you know, giving the laughies all the time. I'm actually drinking milk right now. Leftover milk. So it should be interesting here. Leftover milk from last night? No, from, from what I ate today before. For a cinnamon roll. I had a cinnamon roll before we started podcasting. Leftover milk. I'm not going to throw it out. I don't want to go to waste. Okay. Well, you know, you tell your viewers not to eat sugar, but here you're eating a cinnamon roll. And that's totally okay. I understand, Peter. You're, you're a human being just like everybody else that listens. It was a half of a cinnamon roll. And, you know, and it's going to expire tomorrow. So like I said, I'm not a very wasteful individual. You got to eat it with a glass of milk. Exactly. Straight from, Straight from the teeth. So those that are new, welcome. Please, guys, if you guys like the podcast, give us five stars and rank us. It helps the search engine. It helps us being more exposed, and we're seeing a difference in that. So let's continue doing that. So what are we talking about today, PD? Well, today, guys, we're going to talk about something called nanotransfection technology. It's a new technology being developed, and it helps your skin and your cells regrow and also has the potential to change the cell structure and actually change the cell function. So we'll talk a little bit about that, how it's going to progress in the future and what we could expect from it. We're also going to talk about SIADH and diabetes insipidus. Diabetes insipidus, people think diabetes, blood sugar. This is more about water. And I'm sure you nursing people out there are going to, are going to like this one. Yeah, it's more neuro-based, which is not our cup of tea, but it is what it is. I like talking about neuro once in a while. Or but a or a cup of milk. But having those patients aren't, um, I, I don't know, man. Having neuro patients sometimes is, not annoying, but it's just, it's a whole different ballpark, man. It's like learning a whole new uh, system compared to like um, cardiac. Yeah. I'm not a fan of neuro. That's why I, I get zero neural patients. Oh yeah. You're no complete. Complaints. You're full um, cardiac. So this technology stands for TNT. So are we blowing up something on the patient's um, body? TNT? It's dynamite. That song you play in the background here. No. Um, so this is actually... It look, kind of looks like a little chip that they put on your skin. And this actually like zaps your cells and changes their, their function. And it also like per, not prevents, but also starts uh, to help the cells like divide. It helps regrow cells. I know majority of research that they're doing right now, it's, it's on skin, like with burns, uh, with like trauma. And it kind of shocks the cell and it makes it like proliferate. It makes it grow. It makes it divide. But it also, it's also interesting because this like carrier chip has like different enzymes in it, has different kind of components, which actually help the accelerator matrix, accelerator matrix, uh, it gives those components because the accelerator matrix is a big proponent of like cell division, cell growth. It help, actually helps our, our cells function, helps with adhesion and a bunch of other things. So this actually chip, not only does it zap, it also carries certain enzymes and certain chemicals and Concern not really cells, just like components that actually help your cells develop and kind of change their function. So it's it's like basically getting like a like a giant shipment of cargo into into the cell, which either can change the cell or can help that cell divide. 
And those that don't know, the extracellular matrix is everything around the cells. So you have cells, and in between that, you have this extracellular matrix, which more and more we're starting to realize, just like PD says, it's helping with um, cell division, cell growth, and to um, promote healthy growth of cells. And it's interesting how, you know, let's take a step back to like burn patients, right? Like right now, the big thing is stem cell therapy, and we can take stem cells at like a vacuum you know, suck them, suck them out of our body from a different part. And I think what I'm not exactly sure how they do that, but they're able to spray stem cells onto burn victims and help them regrow. But here you're just actually taking the healthy cells and you're zapping them. You're saying with this chip and it's able to um, stimulate them cell growth. Exactly. Yeah. So you're able to stimulate them. And some of the research is even showing that they're able to actually reprogram, reprogram the cell to, do something different. So you can reprogram like a, a uh, epithelial cell, like, like a skin cell to turn into like the cell that's made up of like blood vessels. Like you could actually transform these, these, these cells without actually needing stem cells. Because when we think of like creating new cells, we, we think of the way that our cells are derived from stem cells and stem cells are the most basic cell and all functional cells are derived from that stem cell. What this technology is able to do in a certain aspect is they're able to take regular functioning cells like you know you could take like your your osteoblast you could take like your epithelial cells and you can actually change change our function without needing that stem cell without any kind of conversion to do the stem cell and it's saying it's 98 percent efficient and it does not hurt that these electrical electrical charges that you're giving the patient aren't even felt and um they did a study on mice <laughs> poor mice man they're always getting tested um, I mean, they breed like crazy, you know, you got to use them. I mean, it, it does kind of suck work. Like, you know how, how a few years ago, there was like that issue when they taste or not taste, but they test makeup on like animals, like they would t- test makeup on like pigs, cows, just to see how the makeup looks and kind of kind of reacts to, to the skin. Well, that, that's kind of suck for these, these mice because they're lab grown mice and their one purpose in life is to just get, get tested on like their throwaways. It does suck. I mean, and look what we've been doing. We're able to genetically modify a, a rat with, a, or let's call them a mouse. You want to call them a mouse, mice, with a freaking ear on their back or they're glow in the dark. Like they're able to replicate them so much. But after the study, what they did with um, with TNT therapy, they were able to restore blood, blood flow in injured mice and reprogram their skin cells to like revascular. So that'd be pretty cool if we could use this technology in the future to help, um, for example, stroke-induced humans, since they're not mice, and help them restore blood flow, or be able to restore blood flow in like the legs for patients that have like uh, peripheral vascular disease. Yeah, I, to, to see what, what's going to happen, because like you said, with like the whole with the, with the like the ischemic stroke, like your brain loses oxygen and like, that area gets kind of devascularized or, or whatever you, you want to say. Same with like the cardiac issues. Like once you have an MI, like that part of your heart's ischemic, like your, your heart muscles, your heart cells do not, you know, they don't replicate. So all the cells you have in your heart, you know, that's the cells you're going to have till, until you die. So it'd be interesting to, to see if maybe they could, instead of stem cells, maybe they could put this chip in like your heart and like you said, revascularize. Maybe you could revascularize certain parts of your heart or even stimulate these cardiac cells to, 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 to divide. Like imagine if you could figure out a way to have like your heart cells divide, like that would be like a drastic change in science. And it, if we could figure out a way to, to be able to multiply and uh, multiply and like, like breed cardiac cells naturally in our, in, in our heart, like 
people are going to be able to live to like over 100, 100 years because how many people die of MI? Cardiovascular disease is one of the more killers in the United States and in, in the world. And it's magic if you could kind of delay that from happening. That'd be pretty beneficial. What I'm fascinated by is as technology is getting cheaper and we're able to do these tests, I wouldn't mind having a like a day-to-day update on my body, like you see in the movies. For example, I go, I wake up and I take a piss, and my toilet tells me like my BMP panel or tells me my electrolytes or hey, hey Matt, why don't you eat a banana today? Your magnesium is a little bit low. That'd be pretty cool because I don't know, maybe. Matt here is very fascinated by preventative medicine, and I'm always trying to prevent, like, you know, hey, instead of having to regrow heart cells because of the, the MI, how about we worry about the day-to-day and able to troubleshoot our body as things are happening? Or imagine having a contact lens where it's giving me, like, an update on my body, what's going on day-to-day, or tracking my blood sugar. That'd be pretty damn cool. I mean, you could do blood sugar. You could get one of those things that, you, that you, like you put on yourself and you could have a consistent um, blood sugar monitoring because a few physicians have done it where they track their like insulin spikes, see where, see what causes their insulin spikes and kind of, they, they track, I'm not sure what his name is, but there's a physician that, that did it. He's like a very big preventative medicine kind of guy. And he actually wore the glucose monitor for, I think, six months to a year just because he wanted to see how his blood sugar fluctuate and kind of what, um, what foods made his insulin spike. And that's the guy that I remember. He, his body wasn't good eating uh, soy. Uh, was it pea pods or something like that? So like, it's crazy how your, our bodies are so different where his body had a bad insulin spike to specific vegetables that he didn't eat. Yeah, I'm not sure what the, yeah, we're not, we're not like the same dude. I know he was on, a few podcasts that I, that I listened to, I actually heard, listened to him talk a few times, not just, not just once. Because he was on Joe Rogan and he was on the other guy that, that you sent me a little bit ago too. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to move forward to the next topic here? Move forward. Hey, but real quick, have you noticed like milk is pretty sweet. Like I haven't really, like I don't know why, but this, this batch of milk, whatever I have here is, is sweeter than I normally would think milk tastes like. Is it almond milk? No, it's regular milk from a cow, from a teat. Okay. I don't really, honestly, I haven't been drinking dairy, to be honest. Yeah. I'll have I don't, here and there, but that's it. Yeah. I don't drink milk very often either. I used to, when I, when I was younger, I used to drink milk all the time, but like, I don't know. It's just like, like sweet. It's weird. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm it's sure it's making their show a little bit better. And the people that are, you know, they're driving home or wherever they're going, whoever's listening, they might want a, um, a consumption of milk tonight. A glass of milk. Yeah. I used to do, sometimes when I can't fall asleep when I was younger, I used to do like warm milk and honey. I, was, I hit the spot. Okay, I'm going to expose you, Peter. Peter, man, ever since I know you when you were younger, you before bed used to ha- open up the cart, the whole um, canister, I don't know, cartridge, whatever, of milk. Gallon you'd bottle. Even, gallon bottle. You'd even pour it into a glass, man. Yeah. You just freaking chugged it. Dude, me and milk are way back, man. Milk was my first friend, man. Milk, milk was so good. I, I've cut down on it, but, but still, sometimes you got to have a glass of milk, man. Got the calcium, yeah. good for your bones. And I guess it's sweet now, so I guess things are... You also know that we're the only mammals that drink milk after, like, you know, us are being babies. So after adulthood, we're the only mammal that still drinks milk. Yeah, we're also the most intelligent mammals in the world. Do you, do you find that theory to be based on consumption of milk? It might be. You never know. Probably not. Yo, whoa, what's going on over there, man? 
I, I can't I can't do anything about having a very active um, home here near Venice. So let's go into um, diabetes insipidus and SIDH. So let's start off with um, what is the antidiuretic hormone ADH. Um, it's uh, it's also known as vasopressin. We give vasopressin for patients that are like um, critical that um, have to have like increased, let's just say, urine output. So that helps with that. It helps also um, clamp our veins a little bit to um, increase blood flow. It's stored in the, it's made in the hypothalamus, stored in the pituitary, and it helps basically conserve and correct the amount of water that's being released into our body. And it's also um, has better receptors and maintains um, regulation and things like that. And the people that drink alcohol and, you know, the phenomenon of breaking your seal. So a lot of people think like when they start drinking right away, they don't want to go piss because they're going to break their seal and then they keep urinating. Well, guys, that's, that's, it's kind of false because what happens is alcohol inhibits your ADH. So what happens is your body overproduces or produces less ADH. And what happens is your brother, brother, your body starts peeing a lot more. So if you break your, breaking your seal doesn't matter. Like if you drink alcohol, you're going to be peeing a lot more. That's why you're dehydrated usually after a binger. Yeah, that's true. I haven't had a binger in a while. I've, I don't drink very often. But yeah, that's, that's what happens with, with alcohol, with, uh, with the ADHD. And it's cool to actually like realize when you're in a medical field that this is how it actually works. And it's not just like this break your seal, then you, that's how it works. No, there's actually like a medical background to how the, there's actually a process, like a, like a pathophysiological thing that happens in your body while, while you pee so much when you, when you drink. But SIADH syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone. So it's, it, doesn't, it works with antidiuretic, antidiuretic hormone and you, you have it inappropriately. So you have too much of it. So what's happening is your body is retaining a bunch of water and you know, your vascular space gets increased, your fluid gets, it gets increased. And we obviously know that these complications are, are bad for you because they're, they're complications. So what happens is your body retains water. You could have majority of the times what happens with SIADH is like Matt said is neurological issues because your fluid volume increases everywhere in your, in your brain, in your vascular space. And, you know, it tends to push on your the cells in your brain, which then can cause like seizures or any kind of neurological issues. But the main thing is that you, could, you will see with uh, SIADH and what to kind of look for is dilutional hyponatremia. So hyponatremia is low sodium, but you don't have low sodium because you don't have enough salt in your body. You have low sodium because there's so much fluid and it's acting like you have low sodium, but technically your sodium levels. <laughs> I can't, funny. I can't do anything about what happens it's around okay. my facility it's here. Okay. So it's not, you don't have hyponatremia. You have dilutional hyponatremia because you have so much water in your system where it's falsely lowering your sodium level on like a blood test. What you also get is hypoosmolality of the blood. So you have a lot of fluid. Osmolality has to do with particles. So if you have more fluid, you have less particles. That's the way I, I see osmolality as. And you're going to have a high urine osmolality because urine is going to be more concentrated. So your urine is going to have more solutes in there because you're not peeing out as much water as somebody that doesn't have SIADH does. And you're going to also have a high specific gravity. High specific gravity because similar, similar concept is you have a lot of solutes in, in your urine. So urine is going to be heavier. And also a decrease in your output because you're retaining it. ADH makes you pee. Or, sorry, it's the opposite. So low ADH makes you pee and SIADH makes you retain water. Correct. And as like a nurse, like you have to be careful of what's causing this. So 
a hyponatremia is having a sodium less than 135, and there's specific disease process that could link this. Uh, meningitis, Guillain-Barre, head trauma, like having a subdural hematoma or subdural hemorrhage. We have specific brain cancers because as we're seeing your, our sodium go down, normally as a nurse or as a physician, you'd, you would be like, hey, let's add on sodium chloride, start it at 75 an hour to help increase sodium. But this is not the issue. Our issue isn't replacing the electrolyte. It's actually correcting the, the cause of having low sodium, which is the retention of the water. So usually this is a physician's you know, job, but as a nurse, you should be thinking about things that are causing this. For example, getting out of surgery, anesthesia could cause this as well. Stress actually makes you hold on to um, ADH. So it's funny the people that have chronic stress have high cortisol. And is it um, myasthenia gravis? It's one of the disease processes. I can't think of it right now where you have the moon shape and it makes you store more. It's, you're naturally storing more water because you're retaining based on this um, ADH. And um, one thing we have to realize is a complication of this is um, when you have low sodium, electrolyte imbalances can cause you to have seizures. So we have to treat the underlying cause, but also we have to look out for um, complications. So sometimes we'll give a prevention medicine like Dilantin to prevent seizures. We will um, restrict your fluids. So unfortunately, you have to be thirsty in the hospital and you want to drink more because that's what's happening. And um, we might give you 3% so, um, sodium. So what happens is you probably have to come into the ICU for that. And we just monitor your neurological signs as you're getting the 3% um, replaced. Yeah, just to go back to the complications, like the cool things that I learned is like there's a certain cancer called old cell carcinoma. So if you get this cancer, you have a high chance of getting SIADH because that cancer actually makes its own ADH. And people go into this issue of SIADH with, with that kind of cancer majority of the times. And also with viral pneumonia causes it as well because it causes hypoxic areas in your young or not, not in your young, but in your lungs. Slow down, BD. And like, so if you think about it, your body tries to kind of reperfuse these areas because, because they're hypoxemic. So what it, what it does is it tries to increase your cardiac output. So it tries to increase blood flow to that area. And the way you increase blood flow to the area would be to increase the volume of your blood. So maybe you, you could reach it, but you obviously know that that's not how it always works. So that's just something pretty cool that I learned. Old cell carcinoma is actually really interesting. The old cell, yeah. I, it just... Once you're a medical professional, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are in it, or they're just the regular listeners that are wanting to learn. It's so beautiful how your your body is just this mechanical process that's able to troubleshoot everything, you know? Like we have baroreceptors, which stimulate different things, volume, like just like just visualizing the the heart, which is the pump, and then we have the pipes, and it's able to troubleshoot based on volume, what it does. Like, let's just say you had a binger, correct? You peed a lot because you inhibited ADH. And what does your body do? It has low, it has low pipes or has low volume in the pipe. So it clamps down and it increases your um, stroke volume, heart rate to, what's it called? To help with the maintaining the blood pressure. I think it's just a very beautiful system and I'm just appreciating it right now. It's cool how like your, your body is, is so stable in like homeostasis. And then like once one thing changes, like with the whole ADH, like it's crazy how like everything kind of messes up. It's, it's cool to like see like the disease process and how it actually works and how, how it actually works and what it actually causes. Yeah. Let's go into diabetes insipidus. I, don't, I 
I seen this one more than SIDH because when it comes to diabetes insipidus, sometimes the patients that are um, like end of life care or organ transplants, or they'll have like a brain herniation or the brain stem gets affected, they start dumping out a ton of damn urine. So with these patients, you want to look at their urine now, but if they're dumping out a ton of urine and they didn't get any Lasix or they didn't get any diuretics, like you kind of want to think about this and start looking at their labs. Maybe they want to do a, um, you know, take some urine, check their osmolarity, see what's going on because they might need some desmopressin, which is, um, is it DDMP? Um, so you want to give them a fake antidiuretic hormone just to kind of stimulate that, just to prevent your kidneys from dumping out so much urine. So basopressin, the basopressin, it's artificial ADH. Yeah. And sometimes patients might need a lifelong therapy depending on their um, complications. So this one is exact opposite. Instead of holding on to so much water, you're just dumping out a ton of urine because you don't have enough ADH. So you're just, your kidneys aren't concentrating the urine. You might have a lot of um, electrolyte, imbalance, electrolyte imbalances. One of them is hypovolemia. You're going to have hypernatremia. So because you're dumping out a ton of urine, you're going to have a lot of osmolarity inside the bloodstream. So this is the exact opposite. Your sodium is going to be high now, greater than 145. Your osmolarity in the blood is going to be increased, and osmolarity in the urine is going to be decreased. So it's just a cool way to remember that. Just like um, it's always opposite. It's always opposite. It's always opposite. So if you're hyperosmolar in your in your vascular space, you're going to be hypoosmolar in your urine. If you're going to be hypoosmolar in your vascular space, then you're going to be hyperosmolar in your urine because like you guys can take into consideration. The more you put out, the less concentration. Sorry, the more urine you put out, the higher concentration your blood's going to be, and vice versa. Now that I think about this, every single time we review like specific disease processes like this, we should like uh, make a mnemonic or look up the mnemonics, which is great for nursing students to help them kind of remember why specific things are um are happening. Yeah, you got a mnemonic for this. A lot of H's here: hypovolemia, hypernutremia, hyperosmolarity of the blood hypoosmolality of the, of the urine, low specific gravity, and increase your output. So the thing is, like, if you could, with diabetes insipidus and SIADH, if you could, to make things simpler, just memorize one of them, and remember the other one is the exact opposite. So you don't got to learn both of them if you don't really want to. You can just learn SIADH and kind of know what SIADH is, and then you know that diabetes insipidus is the exact opposite, kind of like a little cheat sheet. That's what I did in, in nursing school. Like, if you had, like, Graves' disease versus, like, a like hypo... Um, like hypothyroid versus hyperthyroid. Just remember one of them, and then you know the other one's the opposite. That's actually a good way to do it. And this one, same thing. Um, what's going to cause it? So there's something neurologically that's ha- happening. Sometimes giving antivirals, giving dilantin for anti-seizure causes this. Lithium for bipolar disorders could cause it. Um, you might have damage to the pituitary or the hypothalamus, um, depending on what's going on with your patient. And sometimes autoimmune issues might cause this. And treatment... Same thing, to be honest, you're just treating the underlying cause. You might be wanting to replace ADH so your kidneys are going to secrete the, your, um, your um, water. And you might hydrate them with, um, with sodium. But be careful with when it comes to replacing sodium is your sodium is already high because of the volume depletion. So you don't want it to be, I don't know what the, do you know the complications having very high sodium? Yeah, seizures. That's where the neurological issues come in. Okay, same. Good. That's, I'm glad I have you out here, Peter. That's why a lot of times when somebody comes with like SIADH or you know, diabetes insipidus, we kind of give them like a precautionary dose of, of phenytoin, dilantin, just, just to kind of uh, 
increase that, that threshold, you know, because if you give phenytoin, your threshold's higher for seizures, just kind of, just to, just to back you up, because if your threshold's here, when you say threshold, you can't see me, because if you guys are listening, but say your normal threshold is here, if you give anti-seizure medication like Dilantin, your threshold's going to be up here, so it's a lot harder for you to get a, get a seizure. Yeah, and that makes total sense. I feel like this is a quicker episode, so we should give... We should give people a little sneak peek of what we do for the after hours. And that's something that we're working on to, we're producing like a mini little after show. Uh, basically, if you're listening live on, you know, Spotify and iTunes and all that, we can't really swear or kind of, we are ourselves, but we can't give you guys as much like detail or whatever because of, you know, HIPAA and all that. So the after hours show, we kind of, kind of talk and, you know, BS a little bit more, use some profanity. Peter likes using the F word. So I guess we guys we could give you guys a little teaser here because we're kind of shorter on this episode. So how's work been, man? It was a good. I've been off for the past couple of nights. Like I don't know if you guys saw my Instagram, but I met some dude that uh, works for like a plumbers union, and he was all upset because they're like outsourcing jobs and they're able to cost to cut costs, and he kind of gets short hours. Like he loses like one workday a week because they're hiring people from outside the outside the state to come in. So yeah, it's pretty cool. But I, I try to hit a new um, max for my, my deadlift. Didn't get it, man. 275. I'm stuck in this 275 for two of these weeks. Got four last week, four reps of 75 last week. I got four reps of 75 this week, but it did feel a little, a little easier this week. So what you want to might sometimes you have to do is just not worry about your max, um, decrease it down to let's just say 90% of your one RPM, whatever and focus on volume that's what i did a lot like if if i was stuck on my squats for 275 cut that shit back to 225 and i would just rep it out rep it out rep it out and i would have hit that damn max for like a month because i know like when it comes to lifting and the ego and all that you're very fixated on trying to hit that damn you know number and things like that well it's not my it's not my five rep max because that's my it's my last set of five so i'm that's not even close to my five rep max it's just like I want to hit five reps for and that weight is my last set. So I'm probably gonna try to get it next week. And if I don't get it next week, I'm probably gonna just do uh, 285, much as I can, like uh, like for as much reps as I could do once, once or twice, just to get a feeling for for the, how heavy weight feels like. I mean, it's it's been two weeks, so I'm, I'll be okay. I'll for sure get it, get it next week. I, I know I'll get it next week. I just want to be past the 35. I just want to hit 285. I want to be able to deadlift twice my my weight i mean that that's a great goal for yourself man and you know how buddha says think and you will become so definitely write that number down in your brain go to sleep wake up think about it visualize it whatever you have to do and yeah i think you're definitely going to get there so oh, for me i know i am metal time kinda, this milk is really sweet dude what kind of brand milk this is i got an aldi it's fucking check out that dude aldi is pretty good man i'm not gonna lie i i kind of sucks because i've been i've been away from working out and lifting heavy man I haven't gone to the gym in a whole month, but I guess I'm, you know, doing pull-ups and things like that. Pull-ups, so, huh? You drinking your milk? How's milk in California? Milk? I don't yeah. drink milk, man. I do almond milk and that's like at really all? it. Huh. You like, you like soy milk? Soy, definitely not, man. I ain't trying to get more um, estrogen in my body, bro. It's just soy, dude. You look like you eat a lot of soy lately. My boobs look already pretty good. I don't need bigger boobs. All right. You suck at them. Put some, give me some more milk in here with your boobs. Okay, so you want to end this real quick? Yeah, man. Ask me how's travel nursing. Oh, how's travel nursing? How is your new assignment? How's the weather over there? 
Thank you for asking. Peter, man, it's been beautiful weather. I've been, I'm actually going to, after this and after we, you know, hang out, I'm actually going to go to the beach. I'm going to go read. I'm going to get some sun. I've been doing a lot of sun therapy because whether you like it or not, man, we're solar, we're solar beings. We need the sun. Like the sun regulates us. It gives us energy. It does a whole bunch of things. We probably don't know about it. So I love laying out in the sun, man. And now I know how people in Cali are happier, dude, and why the winter blues happen. Like you need sun, man. So I've been feeling pretty good. Um, when it comes to travel nursing, dude, it's been um, it's been really cool because on the unit they have such a crisis and shortage of nurses that literally half the unit are all travel nurses, and it's cool as shit because we all kind of help each other out. We all kind of like joke around. We we've been all like, I mean, the whole teamwork happens on a whole unit, but as a traveler, we kind of look out for each other just a tad more because we understand. And it's cool because we get to network. We all kind of ask, hey, like, who's your agency? How much are they kind of paying you? And you're able to kind of figure out what agency is doing. What is it called? What, who pays you more and how they're treating you? I know I got a, what's it called? I got a contact information from, uh, from the crisis rate. So this hospital does crisis. And they sign you up for eight weeks. They pay you a shit ton. And yeah, man, it'd be a pretty cool gig instead of doing the 13 week. Yeah. I wonder how that works. Like how does a hospital go into crisis? Like there's not enough like nurses in the population to like, like work there. Like I wonder how that, how that happens. So, so within a one month time frame, the manager left. So the CNO, the chief nursing officer of the hospital is taking over as the director right now. And I think they had not eight or nine nurses that left they all went to ucla so this hospital doesn't pay as much you're, you're able to basically go to a different hospital two miles away and have like five or six dollars more an hour why wouldn't yeah. they do that they have a stronger union and what happened is they also introduced a new program into the, the unit so now their their cardiac um cardiac program is getting larger they aren't taking cabbages but they're taking a lot more impellas because the doctors are doing them instead of the balloon pumps and they're doing ECMOs. So mm -hmm. ECMOs are one-to-one. -one. Like they had an ECMO that came in. Holy shit. I was, wa I was watching them uh, do something with ECMO with um, like two, two doctors, nurses. They hooked up CRT. That patient was two-to-one. So it takes yeah. two nurses to one patient because that's how busy he is. They have like six to seven one-to-ones sometimes because of the ECMOs, the CRTs. So now you have a unit that lost nurses. Now they need more one-to-ones and they're just behind, bro. Damn, it's so like a they, fucking shit show. Yeah, it is a shit show. And, and the nurses are burnt out because they work five to six, you know, five to six shifts a week sometimes. But we have nurses working five days in a row. I was like, holy crap, man. Doing 12? 12s, yeah, man. What? These right, nurses are nice money, though, dude. Fuck. They're making money, but they're exhausted. They're burnt out. And you can tell, man. You can tell when a nurse hops onto the unit and dirty in a pissy ass mood and they just started their shift i'm just like whoa bro so it's crazy like having this third eye perspective like as a traveler jumping into this hospital and just seeing that nurses are burnt out and we talk about it all the time but burnout's a real damn thing and the nurses that work there sometimes can't see it as much as we do damn that's very intense dude. that's that's pretty cool though like i mean it's cool to think about but not cool to, to actually be there and um seeing these like you know how like you have like staff meetings and things like that they have only meetings three times a week and their their staff meetings are so chill dude it was it was like a bs staff meeting like they didn't talk about 
percentages or taking Foley's out because the risk of infections. And we were laughing around with uh, with the staff nurses. Just wait till they replace their staff till they're full, full adequately staffed again. They train their nurses to take ECMO and everything. And then it's going to start back up. You know, that's what happens. Then they're going to start. Okay. We're, we're finally staffed. Okay. Let's focus on, you know, Hey these guys, numbers, these goals, these, yeah. these numbers, these goals, and it's going to go back to the same BS of, you know, hearing like just negativity, to be honest, it's as a nurse, it sucks because not only are dealing with patients, so you're getting mentally exhausted from them, the physicians, now you have upper management that just keep just keeps nagging you about stuff, you know, like, oh, hey, do this now. Or, hey, we have to, I'm trying to think of ideas, man, of what they talk about. It's just constant BS. Like I told you about Kaiser, like they were looking at the freaking damn trash cans and they're trying to get nurses in trouble for throwing out tubing into the wrong bin. Like, are you guys serious, man? We're freaking tired. And then, and then they get upset because patients develop pressure ulcers or patients develop skin issues while they lay, are laying in these beds. Yes, that is happening because you are freaking exhausting us and we're, we're neglecting the single most important thing of turning the patient Q2 because it does happen, man. You get so busy that you just forget those things. Yeah, it's cool because you got a pretty cool perspective because you're at different hospitals for an X length of time and you can kind of see how one hospital does things compared to how another one does things. You can see like their staff or someone else's staff. And it, like it's, you got a really cool, cool, cool perspective with the whole travel nursing thing. You just get to see so much shit because even though we have like similar protocols, but things are still done a little bit differently in each, each facility. Yeah, and, and one example here is, for example, potassium, right? So in other hospitals, if you have to replace potassium, you would just take it out of the Pixis and you would just give them potassium. Here, what happened is a patient died from having hyperkalemia. So um, I don't know if I shared this story on the podcast before. I don't want to repeat myself. So you shared again. I don't even remember. Exactly. Quick background. So patient had high sodium or I'm sorry, high potassium and they didn't give anything to correct it. Patient had uh, D5 with potassium as IV fluids. It was taken away. It wasn't discontinued. The nurse gave report to the other nurse. Um, I don't know what happened, but something got missed. And the, the night shift nurse maybe never looked at her labs. She never asked the physician, what should, should we do about that potassium? They never rechecked it. And then she hung the, the fluids with potassium back up. Patient fucking coded, died. And yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a medical error because no one looked and troubleshooted the potassium. So now if I have to give potassium, I go up to another nurse. I'm like, hey, potassium is 3.1. I'm going to give 40 mil equivalents um, PO. And she verifies that with me. So this, so this is something that's happening in this hospital because of a crazy med error that was missed. Yeah. And that's what they have to do from now on because like that could happen again. You know, it's, it's one of those issues that should never happen, but it did happen. So now the next step is now you got to do these little protocols to give these little, little simple drugs like, like potassium. Do you remember when we were in, um, in Oakland? So another quick story here is a nurse was hanging tube feeding. And I don't know how she did it, but she freaking jerry-rigged it and it connected tube feeding into the peripheral IV. And she gave tube feedings via IV and the patient died. Uh, like that, I don't understand how the fuck that happens. Like, 
damn, like she must have lacked like some com- like common sense. Like I don't want to talk some shit. I've made plenty of mistakes in my life that you know that I look back upon. It's like why did I do that? But like hooking up a tube feed to someone's IV, like like would the tube feed even go through through the IV? Like would they would even like move because it's, it's so small, like a twenty two gauge? Like what the fuck? She probably put it through like a central line, dude. That's some shit, man. That's I would scary. love. Yeah, I would love to have somebody on the show, for example, that deals with medical things or lawsuits. Medical errors. Yeah, and just seeing, like, does the hospital release this information, like, to the family? Like, yeah, okay, so this is what happened. They died, and this is what we did. We missed this, or, hey, the potassium was high. We think that's the cause of death, and we, ne- we didn't do anything about it. Like, how does the hospital tell that to the family? Like, is there – I'm sure there's truth being told, but what's, what's held back? Because we see – we see this side of healthcare where we know what the heck happened. We see how things went bad and we saw why the patient passed away and how much information gets held away from patients that they don't know about that the hospital shares or doesn't share. I'm very, very curious. We have to have somebody on the show. We have to find somebody that deals with um, male practice um, cases and things like that. Yeah, I'm just I'm not, not sure how willingly people would be able to like admit that. You know, like, uh, like I don't think someone's gonna want to come and say, "Yeah, we didn't tell the family the, the, the truth." We just, I mean, we gotta have somebody that's from like a more of like an outside perspective looking in and can kind of see it firsthand, but not directly dealing with it. Because there's no way we could have somebody come in that says, "Yeah, um, we know this happened, but we actually told the family that that this happened." You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, it kind of sucks because you're, <laughs> we're live on a show and people are listening, and um, you know, people are listening that are not nurses and people you know, bring their family members to the hospital. They're going to be like, what the fudge, man? Now we're going to yeah. be scared to leave the patient. Well, yeah, guys, it, unfortunately, healthcare is flawed, you know. Flawed. Shit happens, dude. Like, it's, Shit it's all happens, part of life. Like, nothing's perfect. If, if, like, hospitals were perfect, guess what? We'd probably be living until we're 100 plus years old. It's, like, mistakes happen. You can't, you can't avoid them. Even, doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how good of a physician you are. Doesn't matter how good of a nurse you are. Like, everyone's prone to mistakes. It's just part of life. Like, you could look at your own job and I'm sure if you're a construction worker, maybe you're a plumber, maybe you're like an athlete, like you make mistakes. Like just, we make mistakes too. Unfortunately, our mistakes might be a little bit heavier than, than somebody else's, but shit does happen. And we, that's why we have these little protocols, these, these checks and balances to make sure that these, that these mistakes don't happen because a mistake by a nurse can literally cost someone's life. Like a, like a little mistake with like, with the, like with the potassium that literally cost somebody their life with the two feeds that cost somebody their life. It's not like, you know, Hey, you you like set up this this uh, this wall wrong, and now we gotta knock down the wall and we put a we put it back up. Like there's no, there's not always a way to come back from it when you're dealing with people and death. People don't always recover from your mistakes. Unfortunately, from our mistakes. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, it's just the truth about healthcare, man. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, well, thank you for. You want to say anything else, or are you just gonna end it? I was gonna actually end it, man. So okay. people that are okay. Another Boys. sirens, man. Let me go find out what's going on. Maybe I could help. <laughs> um, but um, let's. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. So the, I just want. This is a little teaser of what we're gonna talk about when it comes to the after hours on Patreon. We are working on releasing this. So if you listen this far, we are planning on releasing it sometime in May. And yes, Peter, I said May. So now we have to be accountable and actually get it done in May. We still got so, a whole March or in April. Oh wow, I completely forgot. There's a month of April. I'm glad, man, because there's just so much to do. But anyways, guys, it's going to be a way to support us and the show so we could keep on growing, probably hire somebody else so we'll get more work done and more quality content to you guys. Yes, sir. Wrap it up. 
All right, guys, thank you for staying with us. We love you all. Do my piece, Reagan. So just to you know, tunnel back to the beginning, we talked about something called tissue nanotransfection technology, which is a little chip that they can put on your skin and has the potential to, to increase cell prolifer proliferation and also cell division. It can zap cells to changing their function. It could change skin cells to, to vascular cells. And we also talked about SIADH and diabetes insipidus. They're, they both deal with ADH. If you guys want to learn a quick, quick way to learn these two, I would say just learn SIADH, what it does, what it causes it, kind of the symptoms. And then remember that diabetes insipidus is the opposite. So instead of memorizing both of them, just, remember, just memorize one of them. And then the second one will be natural because it's just the exact opposite of it. That's right. And if you guys want to have specific topics talked about or any di different topics. If you want Peter to talk about who knows what or some comedy, let us know, drop a comment, and we will get that to you guys. Yeah. Peace out, guys. We'll, we'll chat with you guys next week.